This is the last evening of this retreat, and tomorrow I have here the last morning schedule. Wake up five. (laughs) (laughs) And so then we'll all be scattering to different directions. Reflection on what comes together separates. No, this is this is also mindfulness, isn't it? Just to be aware of beginning the retreat is now a memory, and the ending of the retreat is in the future, tomorrow. But as somebody said, the retreat is winding down. So winding down is like this. <laughs> <laughs> Just beware of this cycle of, you know, of winding up and winding down. And, and then the, the uh, final sessions and then the separation. And so like awareness is bringing attention to these most obvious uh, occurrences that we tend to, you know, not notice and, and uh, just uh, be caught habitually, you know, coming together and separating without reflecting on it. Because I do a lot of traveling, I'm always coming and going. And let's say from the monastery, so the coming to the monastery, I know know I've contemplated this, and then leaving the monastery and then returning to the monastery, and then going away from the monastery. <laughs> Done it so many times. But it's always like reflecting on it in, in, in this, just these most obvious uh, activities of any human individual. Beginnings and endings and so forth. With this way of reflecting on it. It's like this. Coming together is like this, separating is like this. Now, not telling you what it is or how you should be feeling because that would be really stupid of me to (laughs) suggest you should feel anything, but just encourage you to be aware of what you are feeling. So just a suggestion of tomorrow is the end that has an effect on the unconsciousness at this moment. And the awareness is, is of this, you know, that's when it's bring attention to sense of tomorrow is the end, how does that, you know, it has a certain effect on your conscious reality of this moment, and it's like this. So this leaves a, a lot of things unsaid, you know, how can we state it, how can we qualify it, how can we, you know, have an accurate description of this of this feeling or uh, experience, except there is a knowing of it. You know, it, it, that's why we say it's like this, the way it is, rather than looking for a word to to define it. Just the uh, attitude of knowing, rather than 
of grasping, defining, judging, uh, or adding any kind of uh, things to this. It is what it is. So in this retreat, you know, I hope that this has, you know, really um, begun to um, sink in to your consciousness the, the way it is as a way, as a kind of skillful means to awaken and notice the way it is uh, in which you're, you're not uh, just um, reacting blindly or just becoming a creature of habit or a victim of your conditioning. Like this Tamajaka Pavatana Sutta that we chanted at the beginning of this evening, where this is the first sermon of the Buddha. And this was his way of sharing what he learned with, with uh, the five uh, um, colleagues of his, the five, what they call the, the Panchawaki, the, the five uh, ascetics that he had been practicing with for many years. And so he was, he was in the notice, he wasn't uh, the, the uh, you know, as the story goes in the legendary story of the ascetic Gotama, he was, uh, he and his uh, five friends were great ascetics. And they, they would go to all the kind of uh, teachers uh, meditation teachers in in that area of India at the time, and and be able to you know live this very ascetic life based on asceticism, on control. And uh, this is after six years of asceticism, uh, the ascetic Gotama could achieve the high states and the you know could out ascetic any other ascetic. <laughs> he, was, he was the best, uh, as the legend goes, you know, so he couldn't do better than that. And he could go without food longer and get thinner and everything else, better than any, any of the other five. And, uh, and yet there's something, you know, missing. Now asceticism, you know, is um, you know, even though it looks like self-torture, it has its own highs. You know, being an ascetic is a certain kind of uh, pleasure to it. It's not just misery. And uh, so, I mean, it, it does have been, you know, being in control and being able to make, create states of refined consciousness uh, just through denial of sensory impingement. You know, like going into a set sensory deprivation tank or going into a dark cave. Things like this are where your senses aren't being uh, stimulated or excited anyway. Living in a dark room sounds like uh, masochism, doesn't it? But actually, you can get very high, very refined consciousness out of, out of uh, living in completely in the dark without any sound. You know, so plugging up your ears and wearing a blindfold 
might look like masochism, but it also prevents a lot of stimulation to the senses. Then the other extreme, uh, say, of, of uh, Prince Siddhartha was, before becoming ascetic, was uh, living the life of a very privileged person, being the son of a king and, and having all the privileges and pleasures of, of status and, and uh, education and sensory, the best of the sensory possibilities, the best food and, and music and all the rest. And so this is, uh, you know, living the other extreme of Gama Sukhali Yoko, this sense of, of sensory pleasure, is uh, just stimulating the senses, having fun, having a good time, beauty and refinement and pleasure and, and, and all the pleasures of the world, of music and dance and art and and uh, sex and all the best of the sensory world is, uh, is you know, but recognizing that this also is somehow there's something missing. So, from Vincent Arthur seeing the 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 uh, the four messengers, the old man, sick person, corpse, and monk. <coughs> He's awakened in the young prince uh, questioning attitude. So then that went leaving all the pleasures and status and the best that the world can offer behind, going to the opposite extreme, cutting off the hair is a, is a sign of uh, renunciation, going into the woods, into the forest, and, and uh, developing mental control, asceticism. These are the two extremes. The Buddha, in his uh, first sermon, pointed out that what he was teaching was not was neither kanuyoko nor yoko. It was neither sensory pleasure nor sensory deprivation. So he called it the matjima batibata, the middle way. And when you think of a middle way, you think of, you know, we tend to, because of the thinking process, we think of it as compromise. We think, now let's, let's be, let's practice the middle way, so let's compromise into mediocrity. <laughs> we won't go to any extremes. We'll just settle for a kind of uh, tasteless porridge. We'll live in a place without any bright colors or any beautiful thing, but nothing ugly either. Just <laughs> so, in some ways, you know, this is this is how the thinking mind works, because the thinking mind go, uh, tends to, you know, goes to this dualist extreme. So the middle point sounds like mediocrity. You know, it's not a, inspiring. When you want to inspire, you go to the extreme on the positive side. Absolutely the best, you know, the most fantastic, the most beautiful, the highest happiness, 
absolute freedom, total joy, <laughs> radiant happiness, eternal beauty. And these are, this is, uh, these are the superlatives, hyperbole that we can create with the mind. These, notice how this inspires, this this uplifts, this brings a, a sense of inspiration into consciousness. When you want to inspire something, you, you use hyperbole. You, say, you talk positively and say things that, that people love to hear and, and uplift their spirit. If you want to depress them, you talk about what's wrong with everything <laughs> and how bad the world is <laughs> and so forth. And you, you think, uh, you know, how miserable life is and how unfair and disgusting and selfish people are, you get depressed. Now just, you know, I've, I'm talking about myself really, that, that I've witnessed in myself. So then what is the middle way? Just a, 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 kind, a kind of dull compromise? Neither inspiration nor depression, but just a kind of dreary dullness. Because you know, sometimes, you know, like Ajahn Amaro in one of his talks, when I was talking about getting into this state where you, you, you're not really suffering, you're not happy either. It's kind of bland dullness. And then you can, and then you think, is this, is this Nibbana, this kind of dull state, you know? I'm not happy, but I'm not miserable. So then the, then the middle way is not that, it's not dull, but it, it, so it's not really middle, and the middle is a slightly uh, inaccuracy because it's, it's a transcendent. It's, uh, you know, so when I, the awareness is transcending this dualistic process. Now when I use the word transcendent, I don't, you know, sometimes that word also gives the impression of kind of being out way above that. You know, you've turned your back on the dualism and you're living in a, in a transcendent realm. It's not that. It's not rejecting the world, uh, annihilating it, nor holding on to it, but in, in uh, not creating it. So in the Buddha's teaching of the Four Noble Truths, uh, he points to this uh, suffering, its cause, the cause of the suffering, cessation of suffering, and the matjima uh, bhattibhata, the way of non-suffering. Now this is, uh, and this is what the sermon he gave after his enlightenment to five ascetics uh, who had gone to all the extremes of asceticism, I assume, and uh, and had uh, become very disillusioned with the ascetic Gotama when he started uh, when he was caught eating uh, milk rice because I saw I assume milk rice is probably like ice cream or something in that time. <laughs> you know, if you're a proud ascetic and you eat. 
thorns for your meal. <laughs> and then I see Ajahn Amar eating a dish of ice cream. I think, oh, God. Because asceticism can be very conceited and make you very, you know, look down on people who eat ice cream, uh, who who find any pleasure in the senses, you know, and and even you know a diet of thorns. Maybe they're more bitter ones <laughs> than that you you decided upon because the. Uh, the sweeter ones are a bit too luxurious. <laughs> so it goes into absurdity, asceticism, or sensuality, you know, carried to extreme. So in this, uh, when the, when the ascetic Gotama left his, his comrades, or they left him, then he would, is probably relieved. You know, I'm fed up with these guys, you know, the, you know, just trying to compete who's, who can be the most ascetic. And, uh, and so he probably was relieved, you know, not to have to do that anymore. And then it's, it's sitting under the Bodhi tree. This is, a, this is a symbol. Like a tree is a religious symbol because its roots are in the ground and it grows up, and its branches go toward the heavens. So, so this sense of the roots in the ground, you know, the, a grounding in the earth, in the coarse earth that we're living on, the strength of that, and then the trunk, the sapling grows from that and reaches towards the heavens, towards the sky. So then this, uh, the... The, uh, the, the place of enlightenment. So the ascetic Gotama decided he'd sit in this place of enlightenment, which is symbolized by the Bodhi tree. And uh, he sits in the place of enlightenment. And then all the forces of Mara come. Uh, so they, and, and so when, when you dare, when you dare to sit in the place of enlightenment, you know, then, then you're going to be tested. So all the forces of Mara come and say, how dare you sit, you, who do you think you are? You can't sit there. <laughs> you think you're enlightened? You, you're just a, a, you know, a third-rate ascetic. And, you're <laughs> and trying to tempt him in every possible way with sensual beauty or, or fear all kinds of fears and horrendous demons. I think in the film, The Little Buddha, they had quite a, quite a phantasmagoria of <laughs> this scene. And this, uh, this was, um, and then the Buddha, or it wasn't the Buddha yet, but he was sitting there, and then he says, he puts his hand and touches ears, he says, let the earth be my witness. And so, then Mother Earth, Torani, uh, is symbolized by a female figure, Mother Earth, or Gaia, I think is a New Age term. Uh, you know, 
comes forth in, 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 and from her hair, and this is the mythological symbol, all this, this flood of water flows and washes all these forces of Mara away, drowns them in a sea of water because uh, Mother Earth has given permission for the ascetic, ascetic Gautama to sit in the place of enlightenment. Well, this, this, is, this is symbol and myth and legend, but just think, you know, in your own experience, this, you know, this, we think of it as a maybe historical, you know, something that happened to somebody way back in India, but this is also talking about us. You know, it's not just unrelated to our own experience. So this is uh, the earth when we, when we have, you know, when we, when we have realized, when we are mindful, when we are in this state of awareness and openness to uh, the universe, to all, to everything, rather than just focusing on, you know, like sensual pleasure, uh, and, and, and when you absorb into sensual pleasure, you can't see, you get no perspective. When you do the opposite, ascetic uh, torture, and, and then you absorb into states where you have no, absolutely no perspective. You're caught in these extremes. And so the Gotama then had this insight into awareness, the place of enlightenment, the Bodhi tree. And then the, the forces of Mara, all the temptations and reactions to that. Uh, come forth. So many of you during this retreat probably were experiencing kind of maybe um, all kinds of difficult emotions and temptations and doubts and and all kinds of, you know, fears. And some of you are experiencing a lot of fear or terror and things like this. Because as you, as you are more and more aware. This awareness is the is the seat of enlightenment, the Bodhi tree, in terms of of what we're doing here. So then, the forces of Mara were were flooded out, and and Gotama had time to contemplate. So. It, he wasn't going into absorbed states, but in just reflecting on, on uh, the present moment. And so his enlightenment came from that, from awareness. Sitting under the Bodhi tree, this, this expansive awareness, this point that embraces everything. Rather than excluding anything, it includes everything. So then the that the more we trust this point of awareness, then the forces of Mara and all their variations of beauty and ugliness and horror, they, they will naturally cease because that's the nature of things. It's Mother Earth, you know, flooding them out. They have, we have the right to sit in this place of enlightenment, to sit under this Bodhi tree. So as human beings, we have the right to given the right by Mother Earth to sit in this place of enlightenment, in other words, to be mindful. And then the, then the Buddha was enlightened, or saw the truth. 
So after after he recognized and saw the truth, then then the first thought came to his mind was, this you can't teach. Uh, it's just too subtle, you know. There's no way anyone could teach this reality, this truth. Too subtle. So I won't even bother. I'm just going to stay here and sit under the tree. <laughs> and then... Then, from then, in the the legend, the uh, Brahma Sahampati, one of the the sky gods, the god of speech and prayer and and kindness, Brahma Sahampati appears. So this is a male figure from the sky, uh, saying, pleading with the with the Buddha, please, for there are those with only a little dust in their eyes. Go and teach for the welfare of those. There are people who, who you can teach who will understand. So this brings in the, 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 the earth mother, the sky father, the forces in the universe, the male, the female, and the permission we have from both these forces, from the heavens and from the earth. So this is then the, the Buddha reflected on where to go and if his previous teachers he could see through his psychic visions that they died and so his decision was to go and uh, find his five friends who who had uh, rejected him he sent on his way from Bodhgaya to to uh, Saranath and uh, on the way he met like Ajahn Amaru they met this ascetic up- upaka and so the ascetic asked, what if, you know, you're so beautiful and radiant, what have you seen? And, and he said, I am the perfected Buddha, all enlightened one. And then the Upaka, you know, just was, uh, you know, couldn't believe that. It was too direct. It wasn't wrong. He wasn't lying. I am the perfect enlightened one. Is an actual accurate teaching, not me, this person. <laughs> but when you're putting this into, into words for somebody else, the I is no longer a, an ego. But this sense of I-ness, this pure subjectivity is, is enlightenment, perfect enlightenment. But the, the ascetic took it as an ego, like the the Buddha was was on an ego trip, you know. Well, you know, <laughs> I've seen plenty of you around, you know. <laughs> Here at Spirit Rock, I see some people come and announce that they're enlightened. Amravati, <laughs> we've had our share. <laughs> and the reaction is, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell me. So. So when the Buddha met his uh, his colleagues in uh, in Saranath near Banaras, he he didn't say that. He said there is suffering. Now now he's using this pointing, not not announcing. That's a different way of teaching. Announcing, even though it was accurate, was 
the person listening couldn't understand it because he was always coming from the ego, from I as is, you know, this, this person. But then so in the, and probably the five ascetics had ego problems too because they were, you know, they'd already uh, rejected uh, that uh, uh, weak, uh, indulgent Gotama who, got, who was eating ice cream. <laughs> I mean, that's very egotistical, isn't it? You know, the righteousness and arrogance and I'm, you know, I'm better than you and I could only respect you if you, you know, I can't respect you anymore because you're eating something delicious <laughs> and you're not an ascetic. So, you know, we don't want to associate, this is snobbery, isn't it? arrogance. So the Buddha, probably knowing the, the character of these people, didn't start from I, but said there is. Now notice the wisdom in this, the pointing to dukkha. And uh, because this is, you know, this is pointing to a reality here and now. Uh, and it's certainly not exalted, is it? It's not, you know, some high state of consciousness that only very refined people could possibly uh, relate to, but it's the most ordinary thing a human being that we all have, everybody. Pointing to dukkha, then its causes, that, that it ends, and that the way of non-dukkha is the way of mindfulness. So, the fourth noble truth is the, what they call the Eightfold Path, and this is starting with Samaditi, Samasangapo. From this reflection these, these, of the first three through, through investigating and insights through the first three noble truths, then there's right understanding. Samaditi. So this is the wisdom, the wisdom and, and what you call uh, jnana is another Pali word, insight, um, panya, wisdom. These words are, convey this sense of, of a profound knowing, not an intellectual manipulation of words and concepts. It's direct knowing. It's universal intelligence. It's not personal ability anymore. You can't claim it as, you know, I'm, I have a, I'm a very wise person. But wisdom is, a, is, is operative when we let go of ignorance. So then our true nature is, is wisdom rather than ignorance. And yet our egos are all built out of ignorance. The personality view is uh, what we create out of ignorance, by identifying with the body and the memories and thoughts and opinions and views, the objects that we own, the position we have in the society, the race, the age of the body, the gender of the body, everything, you know, the ethnic background, 
all these are, you know, me and mine, and I'm this and I'm that. Now this is the this is the the ego. That's not wisdom. Wisdom is it operates when we let go of that all that identity and attachment to trusting in this awareness. So on this retreat, this been uh, trying to to keep pointing to this path of awareness because it's not it's not an attainment it's not you know you can sit for for months and do all you know like ascetic practices and control your thinking process and develop absorptions and do all kinds of fantastic things with your mind and body and not develop any wisdom wisdom is not operative So, so the aim of the Buddha was in enlightenment. So his first sermon was this very skillful uh, teaching of the Four Noble Truths, using uh, the suffering as a kind of focus, not an attachment. You don't attach to suffering. You notice it. You awaken to just the feeling of dissatisfaction or loneliness or disease or no matter how mild just being ill at ease is enough suffering for enlightenment you don't need to be beaten up and and uh, flagellated to experience suffering you don't have to do ascetic things because just sitting just uh, five minutes can bring a certain amount of pain (laughs) Just think of the suffering we created sitting here when they didn't have the air conditioning on. <laughs> That's enough suffering for enlightenment if you use it. <laughs> so this, uh, this, this sermon, you know, is a uh, I found, you know, this has been my practice over 40 years. It's just this, uh, you know, kind of investigating these four noble truths and the three aspects of each truth and the 12 insights. That formula, you know, that's, that's what we were chanting in this Tamajaka Sutta. And it's always impressed me that uh, that, uh, that actually is a perfect teaching. You know, it's it's, it, that is enough. If, if every other uh, scripture, the whole Tripitaka was lost and, and all other religious literature was annihilated, but there, were, there was only left this Tamajaka Pawatana Sutta, that would be enough. You don't need any more teaching than that. But then it's putting it into practice, using it, not just doesn't do any good just to memorize it. A lot of monks can chant it, but not, don't have a clue of what it means. <laughs> so, so that that's no guarantee of anything, uh, other than you you know you have a good memory. But if you if you uh, apply it now, this is the, what this is what. 
cultivation, what bhavana really is about. So you're looking at suffering not out there, but in here. Just to, you know, to to turn your attention from just looking outwards all the time, and and uh, and being pulled into objects because that's how we're conditioned. Is that life, modern life, is an endless uh, attack on our senses. You know, to be pulled out. Look at this. Listen to that. Smell this. Taste this. Feel this. And, and modern society is one not where, you know, where people want, don't want you to look inward, but to, you know, to go out, to do things, to engage. And even ascetic uh, practices, are, you're, trying to, you're trying to do something, like stop the senses. You don't eat. You plug up your ears. You blindfold your your eyes. You you go without food. You don't wear any clothes. You sit on. You wear a. Uh, you put on a a belt with with spikes on it. You 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 roll in a, in a pile of nettles and briars. And so this is all painful, but it's still doing something, isn't it? It's like you know. It's, uh, it's the opposite of the other. St. <laughs> Francis of Assisi, if you go to Assisi, they show you where the St. Francis used to roll himself in a briar patch. <laughs> so, well, that's quite impressive, isn't it? You think it's really somebody special, because I certainly wouldn't do that. <laughs> but this the Buddha never encouraged, like, like the Vinaya that the monks keep. It's not meant to be an ascetic. It's not meant to uh, self-torture. It's, it's, it's not, uh, you know, even though to some people it looks like, like not eating a meal in the evening is asceticism, isn't it? For a lot, many of you. <laughs> or celibacy is a real ascetic practice, you know. But, um, but these are not ascetic practices. These are, like, like these are boundaries uh, that we, dis- that we uh, request. They're not forced, you know, it's not like Put onto us, and f- we're forced to keep these these rules. We ask for them when we ordain, when we take the precepts, and that. So, it's like it's like agreements and boundaries on behavior and speech that we're using for awareness, not for self torture, or or to make life difficult. It's not. We've not. We have no rules about. You know, we're not supposed to go around rolling in. Briar patches, <laughs> torturing ourselves. <clears throat> so then, this uh, this this teaching itself is is uh, you know for this reflectiveness to see the causes, and this is looking here the the clinging, the attachment to desires, and then the insight, letting go, freedom from 
you know, not letting go of these, these desires, not getting rid of the desires, letting them be. So in, uh, in some of the skillful means I was trying to uh, advise you with during this retreat, it's a way of dealing with, with emotional states. Because I think for most of us, the emotions are the most difficult part. Because uh, this is where we, you know, we, we, the sense of a self is most strong when you're emotional. And so like in, in great grief or sorrow or anger or righteous indignation or, or happiness, uh, rapture and all that, so easy. I'm so happy, you know, and I'm, I want to be happy all the time. And then... And it seems to be such a sense of myself. And I'm alive, I'm happy, I'm in love, everything is wonderful. And then the, then the, then the opposite, I'm depressed, life is miserable. Uh, I want to kill myself. And then the sense of a self is very strong. This ego thrives on the, on the emotions. And when we get into more the duller, dull states, in that we're just bored, and, and uh, we get depressed over that, just nothing's happening, just boredom and meaninglessness, no excitement, no beauty, no love, no adventure, no excitement, not even anything that bad, just, you know, living, you know, in the... Uh, Marin County. (laughs) (laughs) And nothing much is happening in your life. You've got a boring job. Then your relationships aren't working. (laughs) So life sometimes goes to these various levels of, you know, isn't it wonderful or isn't it horrible? And, and then the jealousies and fear. You know, these are emotions we, you know, jealousy is a difficult one, isn't it? Uh, to deal with, or fear. Sexual desire, you know, the, the, the kind of way the body produces this energy and, and the, how... how uh, Mesmerizing how how fascinating that is. It's one of the most pleasurable kind of sense experiences is uh, sex sexuality. So here we are in a world of of sensory possibilities. Sensory uh, indulgence is is available, and and then also the the denial, but the so the transcendent awareness is is not is is not recognized. So we're caught between the, these these two extremes, and the personality is created out of that. You know, our self worth and our ego have been created out of our identity, and the and the emotional habits we have seem like a real person. At least mine do. Mine, mine can really scream inwardly and say, you are this. 
you shouldn't be and it's it's all you know very full of me and and what should and shouldn't be and I can get very righteous and indignant and angry and I and and all the other ranges of emotion give us strong sense of the reality of me so that's why in in uh, jitanupasana where you uh, awareness of the jitta you're looking at this these, these strong feelings and you're looking at them no longer analyzing them in terms of you know where do they come from and why do i feel like this but recognize them receiving them and 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 uh, putting them in that context of uh, impermanence and not self. So this takes then this, this trust in the awareness in which we can receive our emotions in consciousness without judging them because like your, your uh, superego, using a Freudian term, your your critical mind, in other words, will uh, will pass judgment on it, you know, and and these emotions uh, are not rational functions, and they're not sensible or reasonable states of mind. They can be all over the place, you can be crazy and mad and and childish and stupid and silly and all the rest. These are value judgments, isn't it? That that the uh, critical mind. Um, point and say this is ridiculous don't be so stupid but that's not the point of, just, of judging because it, it doesn't help you know it just makes it more complicated so instead of instead of criticizing or evaluating your emotional problems in terms of good or bad you receive them now this is awareness, isn't it? They are the way they are. Anger is like this. Now in that reflection, the anger, you feel it. You know, it's a feeling. It, and you're not interested in why anymore, why you're angry. Because then you have to start thinking and the thinking process creates the self all the time. So you stop the thinking about it, but you still receive you receive the the energetic uh, remainder of that emotion. So this is neither suppressing nor indulging in the emotion. Uh, it, it, the stopping the thinking process. Some people were saying you know, they can use sound of silence as a kind of as a, a kind of uh, repressive. You know, just reject something because you don't like it. But that's using it the wrong way. If one's just using it to get rid of something, the, the intention is wrong. The using the sound of silence stops the thinking process. And that's important because you need that space. You don't need to think and rationalize and analyze this emotion, but recognize it. It is like this. And then that you can recognize through this... Uh, through the being aware of the energetic remainder, the feeling that lingers, the, you you can feel it in your body, or you can feel it as a kind of mood or lingering energy around you, and and in that awareness of it, 
you're, you're not judging it, so you're not trying to get rid of it. If you let it be what it is, it ceases. You can observe, you can witness, you can realize its cessation. Anger ceases, greed ceases, jealousy ceases, fear ceases, lust ceases, greed ceases. They all, everything ceases. And then the reality of cessation. When, when, when conditions cease, what's left is awareness. And right understanding. Samaditi. So then the, the fourth noble truth. You know the path. This is the path, this awareness. It's not an avoiding of anything. It's a very clear insight. It's not, a, it's not a kind of abstract idea of a path or some kind of sentiment. But it's a very clear path, you know, it's not fuzzy. And it's not a thought or a conception, it is this. In fact, you can even forget the word path. It is this. <laughs> this, is, this is the way. And so in this uh, retreat, you know, emphasizing the, the, why the Buddha taught like this, the Four Noble Truths, in this very reflective way, is, is incredibly practical. And that's why uh, Buddha's, Buddhism has so much to offer in the present time. Because it's not about culture or, you know, or, or metaphysical uh, symbols. We're not talking about, you know, sort of ancient Indian concepts of God or anything you have to accept. It's not about ancient Indian civilization and uh, life in India 2,500 years. It's about human beings that, that are, you know, have the same problem, suffering. And so that's the same, you know, the time of long before the Buddha, up to this present, <laughs> we're no different, you know. The differences are, you know, on the surface and the, the kind of uh, material uh, expectations and attitudes, but not in this sense of the Four Noble Truths. This is a teaching that resonates with, with human beings, where, you know, wherever, whatever culture, whatever religion, Whatever, because it's about being human. It's not about being Buddhist or Christian or Muslim or Jewish or anything like that. It's about the human problem of ignorance that isn't blamed on a, any culture or, you know, it's not the fault of, of a culture or of a religion, but it's, it's, uh, it's uh, the way things are, this, this strange experience we're all having in the human form. You know, we still wonder why, what's it all about? But in this investigation of the Four Noble Truths gives us the insight into the deathless reality, the Nibbana, the Anatta, the non-self, the unbounded, the unconditioned, and so this is why the awareness is the gate 
the door to the deathless, the um, the amata padang. So during when you follow, you know, you go home and that really consider this. You know, that, you know, begin to to trust yourself more. Awareness is like this. Don't look for anything like thinking you've got to practice awareness. If you start thinking, oh, I'm so heedless, I've got to practice awareness. Who's saying that? What says that? Start from this rather than believing because you you just broke your favorite uh, dish that you need to become more mindful because your favorite dish was very expensive and you and you accidentally dropped it because you were so heedless and clumsy and you need to go to another retreat to develop more awareness <laughs> and you know if you follow that one you'll you know you'll never escape suffering but if you trust just to you know ask yourself what is it that's saying this? You know, you, you're not heedless. You're not mindful. You're just heedless and clumsy, and you shouldn't be like this. Is you know the awareness of this? This is awareness. And so it, it's always present, always possible. When we, you know, in, in in daily life, when we get caught in our emotional states and our opinions and fears and reactions to life, you know, you can start to say, who is this? What is this doing this? Making a problem. Being, you know, upset, being angry, being greedy. And not to find anything, you know, not to find, but it's just a way of, this is mindfulness, this this is, you know, not, when we get caught, when we get carried away with our emotions, that point where we stop, when we are aware at that moment, that, that is awareness. Then you think, then if you add to that, oh, I'm so heedless and corrupt, that's not awareness. Unless you stop and look at that, the, the way you create yourself as, some, you know, somebody who shouldn't be the way you are. So then in, in the sound of silence, you know, this, as you attune yourself to this vibration, this, this gives you this sense of awareness. It's like the, the point you can't get beyond. The, the, uh, the shore that has no shore beyond it. Uh, the center point, the still point of the turning world, the eye of the storm. <laughs> so even though it, it doesn't seem like very much, this buzz, you know, this kind of electric buzz, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's easy to ignore or even be averse to it. Some, some people told me they didn't, never liked it. They thought they had an ear disease. But then changing from from ignoring it or being averse to it, you know, this is like, this this is this is a, a skillful means to rest in this 
vibration, be in this stream of awareness and see what happens. Because then from this, you, you can really get perspective on how you create yourself as a person and your emotional habits without being, you know, overwhelmed with your critical mind and your judgmental habits. You know, this, this, this is, gives you a way of, of, of emptying consciousness and being with pure consciousness, with awareness, where wisdom then can function rather than ignorance. So you see, this is this is a path. This is for a teaching for human beings, and every one of you is a human being. <laughs> but you don't. Maybe you don't understand what being a human being is. You know, we just think we're human beings. So we say, "I'm only human." Usually, it's a justification for weakness, isn't it? We make a mistake or we say something and, oh, I'm only human. <laughs> so it's a kind, we use the word even as a kind of, you know, you know, we, we're not perfect, we're only humans. And, and, uh, but do we, do we really understand what being human is? You know, as an experience now, rather than as just English words that we think we understand when we haven't really understood what being human is. Having a human body is like this, the five khandhas. We've got a human, we've got a rupa, vedana, sanya, sankara, vinyana. We're feeling, we're, we're experiencing sensitivity and consciousness. We have to deal with a, with a physical earthbound body that is constantly being irritated by sensory impingement. So from the time you're born, you know, to the time your body dies, you're in a constant state of being impinged on it, irritated in some way. This is being human. And but we can, because of our humanity, we can reflect on this. We have a reflective mind. We can use consciousness. We're not just creatures, conditioned creatures of instinct. You know, we can actually awaken to the feelings we're having, to the anger, to the greed, to the fear, to the suffering. We can uh, inform ourselves. We can be aware of the, the causes of suffering and the cessation of suffering and the way of non-suffering. This is, so this, this paradigm, the Four Noble Truths, is a teaching for human beings. So being human is, you know, is, it's not perfect. You know, it's, this is an experience of imperfection because if we were perfect, we wouldn't even, we wouldn't have to suffer. Uh, but because of all our imperfections, all the things that shouldn't be, the pain, the loss, the fears and desires, these are, these are all part of the path, you know. Whatever qualities or conditions you're experiencing, you know, you know, whatever you, you know, how severe or weird or proper or good or bad or stupid or intelligent or whatever, we're only interested in them as 
in, in for what they really are as experienced now. They arise in seas. And in that awareness then, we lose that identity. We're no longer deluded by what we're thinking and feeling. And this is the path, the path of non-suffering. So this, uh, offer this as a reflection for this evening. That this, uh, I was asked to say that the chanting books are not for for free distribution. <laughs> but you can. What do you do now? You get them on website or something. What do you, a Bayagiri website. You can download them. <laughs> I, I, these terms I'm still not very familiar with. <laughs> but I think I know what they mean. Finish with the uh, sharing of blessings since we were in such a hurry this morning and had to <laughs> overlook it and share a, a double dollop this evening. Because I was heedless, wasn't I? Ajahn <laughs> <laughs> Amro told me, you know, when you were walking out this morning, he said, You know, I had this uh, feeling of uh, saying to you, Mindfulness, Pali or English? English, I think. This is the sharing of blessings, uh, page 27. Now let us chant the verses of sharing and aspiration through the goodness that arises from my practice. May my spiritual teachers and guides of great virtue, my mother, my father, and my relatives, the sun and the moon, and all virtuous leaders of the world, may the highest gods and evil forces, celestial beings, Guardian spirits of the earth and the Lord of death, may those who are friendly, indifferent or hostile, may all beings receive the blessings of my life, may they soon attain the threefold bliss and realize the deathless. Through the goodness that arises from my practice and through this act of sharing, 
May all desires and attachments quickly cease, and all harmful states of mind, until I realize Nibbana in every kind of birth. May I have an upright mind with mindfulness and wisdom, austerity and vigor. May the forces of delusion not take hold, nor weaken my resolve. The Buddha is my excellent refuge, unsurpassed is the protection of the Dhamma. The solitary Buddha is my noble Lord, the Sangha is my supreme support. Through the supreme power of all these, may darkness and delusion be dispelled. Patipano Bhagavato Savaka Sango Sangang Namami.